You could stay here forever, if you want to. Really? Sure, we'll sing and play games, and Mother will cook your favorite meals. There's one tiny little thing we need to do. What's that? Well, <laughs> it's a surprise. For you, our little doll. Black is traditional. But if you'd prefer pink, or vermilion, or chartreuse, <gasps> no, you might make me jealous. No way! You're not sewing buttons in my eyes! Oh, but we need a yes if you want to stay here. So sharp you won't feel a thing. Ow! There now. It's your decision, darling. We only want what's best for you. I I'm going to bed. Right now. Bed? Before dinner? I'm really, really tired, yeah. Uh, I just need to sleep on things. Well, of course you do, darling. I'll be happy to tuck you in. Oh, no thanks. Uh, you you've done so much already. You're welcome. <gasps> and I... We aren't worried at all, darling. Soon you'll see things our way. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week... We discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lacking. Guys, he was here a minute ago, but he needed to go put the finishing touches on his Jumping Mice show. I cannot, for one, wait to see that. I'm sure he'll be back, but in the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our current series voted on by our patrons. Join them and you too can vote on what we cover this year. Now, this particular series will be featuring animated fare not fit for Saturday mornings. That's right. Welcome to Scare Tunes, a series highlighting animated material of a horror nature. Last week, we walked through one tunnel to a hidden world with Chihiro in Hayao Miyazaki's masterpiece, Spirited Away. This week, we will crawl through another tunnel with one Miss Coraline Jones on the Neil Gaiman-adapted Leica-produced stop-motion feature, Coraline, directed by Henry Selleck. Additionally, we'll be tracking a TV guidepost of Netflix's Castlevania in our patron-only segment. But before we get much further, permit me to welcome back to the show longtime Fogger, routine guest, and foreign correspondent, Vera Gowdy. Vera, welcome back 
to the show. So excited to be here today. Yeah. I'm <laughs> excited you're here. Hopefully, you know, Reed will get his act together. You and I can go. Uh, Can't uh, wait I'll to be see. the Wyborn. I hope those jumping you know. mice go oompa oompa I, and not toodle toodle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Really funny reference there we'll get to and uh as I reassess my stump read. Um uh <laughs> oh, Vera, <laughs> go visit the ladies downstairs for a minute while I remind listeners lest they've forgotten that here at the Fear of God we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at the fear of God podcast.com at the fear of God podcast.com. That is things such as how to support us on Patreon and in turn be able to vote for series and episodes as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise. Read. Hi, hey, everybody. Hey. hey, how's it going? Did you get the did you get the choreography worked out? The blocking mm-hmm. good to go? Okay. Oh, they're ready. You're gonna be stunned. What are the mice spelling? Be, uh umpa umpa. <laughs> <laughs> Riri, Vera's here. Hi, Vera. Gonna hey, join Vera. Us. Oh my gosh. It's good to uh, see you. It's good his, to see uh, you guys too. Yeah, this uh, I'm I'm really eager for this conversation. I'm I'm kind of chomping at the bits. This is uh well, this is exciting. Let's um did you say plural bits? I, I just, I'm sorry. I got to stop this for a second. Did you say you're chomping at the bits? Plural? That's definitely not the phrase. It's uh, <laughs> maybe I did. It just found sounds all funny. The, said all that the horses that are pulling the carriage. Yeah, yeah, they so all many horses. All of all, their bits. Yes, just yeah, just funny. All of just them. Funny. Yes, just, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there well, was maybe one that's bit. In, you were just yeah. amplifying the amount of horses, Except, thus accentuating. Yeah. You know, you're you're like traditional yes. idiom. Be damned. <laughs> no, Plural, exactly. Pluralize exactly. that. It is. It is absolutely one of my favorite things in the world when a, a colloquialism, which has integrated itself into my regular vernacular, gets called out by you as incorrect. I it know, is one I of know. my favorite things. I just, well, you know, my brain operates as this is just reading Nathan having a conversation, not really minding the fact that it's being recorded for the millions oh, yeah. of listeners we have. So broadcast, my apologies, friend, broadcast. friend of friends. <laughs> for that uh, uh, inadvertent <laughs> correction there. Um, it just pinged, and I was like, huh, chopping at the bits. That's a good one. Um, Reed, we got some business time. I want Indeed. to lead off with one that I did not remind you but want to throw out here. So, Foggers, we have formalized our awards programming. So, Ooh. about a month ago, uh, we held the first ever Fear of God Foggy Horror Movie Awards for excellence in the horror genre. And uh, to those of you who participated in that at the time, all you had to do was click on the word Foggies on the website in the upper header there uh, to go vote. What you didn't know is in the meantime, I changed what's behind that header. So, it wasn't <laughs> just negligence and forgetfulness that kept it there. It was, in fact however very mild intentionality so now you can go to the website click on the foggies and what you will find there is our in our desire is this year as you are watching horror stuff because you know admittedly we threw foggies number one uh together somewhat quickly and it paid off in spades had a grand old time uh and and kudos to all of those winners i'm sure those awards are on mantles uh throughout um, uh, the industry. Um, but we want you to be able to not feel crammed, not feel squeezed at the end of the year. What did I watch? 
what was in it, uh, can I recall, all that sort of stuff. So what we've created for you effectively is a Foggy's suggestion box. So you go to the website, thefearofgodpodcast.com, you click on Foggy's at the top, you will see this lovely uh, uh, Foggy's award logo that Jacob Hunt designed for us. And here you have a form that permits you through the year as you are watching movies that you think, wow, that was that was really good. I want to submit that for the Foggies. Go do it. And it'll it'll get logged. It'll get registered. We'll make accounts of it so that we've got a better, more substantive pool to pull from. A pool to pull from. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when it comes time for the second annual Foggy Awards. Uh, so, you know, watch a film. If in your mind, wow, production design, writing, supporting, lead, director, picture, best scare, jump. Best scare, dread, lookout, oh, distinctions. Okay. Right. Yeah. We're wising up in our old age. In addition to that, if there's a category that you think merits inclusion in the foggies that we have inadvertently overlooked, uh, feel free to submit that as well. Main takeaway here is know that you have an access point, a resource by which as you're watching horror movies during the year, um, you can submit now as opposed to waiting nine months uh, for the next Foggies to roll around to submit then. I don't know about you, Vera and Riri, but I'm excited about oh, the I future of the Foggies. I actually really love that because I forget everything almost <laughs> immediately. And so I remember if, <laughs> everything. And so I'm thankful. Yeah, so if there's like an immediate way for me to do something, I will absolutely right. do it. So I love yeah. that. And That's now awesome. you can do it. And we will consistently remind you that it's there. You'll get annoyed. You're like, okay, we get it, guys. I will not. I'll be like, box. oh, this is so new. Guys, right. what a great idea. Every week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it is. Riri, that it, what other? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Reed. No, I was just going to echo. Yeah, it's it's very exciting because um, there's opportunity. Like, even when it comes to the end of the year, I'm on Letterboxd. So I look back over my diary of all the films that I've logged and, and watched. But even still, it's difficult to think of that in the moment. So I love the fact that we've got something that can kind of catalog it in real time. Like, oh, I just saw this great scary movie. I hope this winds up in a foggy somewhere <laughs> next year. And then you can just like. So yeah. effectively, what you're saying, what you're telling me is, Nathan, there's going to be a lot of suggestions in there from Reed. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm not not saying that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. Um, well, very cool. So the, re the the foggy suggestion box, read what other sort of business you got for us. Well, I do want to remind people that in a couple of weeks, we're going to be having our next quarterly king. So uh, the next quarterly king is going to be on his work, Firestarter, dubbed somewhat dubiously as a masterpiece. I don't know if I quite agree with that, but it is one of his more popular and known books. So if you want to acquaint yourself with that, to get ready for our episode, you should definitely read the book. Um, and then I would strongly suggest that you watch the original 1980s film starring Drew Barrymore, uh, an adaptation of that. And then the primary reason we're doing that is because uh, in, in May, about May 13th, uh, the new adaptation, the recent Blumhouse produced, uh, is going to be coming to theaters and I think streaming same day and date on mm -hmm. Peacock if you have Peacock. So, um, uh, yeah, so acquaint yourself with the book and either or both versions of the films uh, as you desire. But Firestarter is coming, our next Quarterly King, in just a couple of weeks. Sounds like a threat, Firestarter yeah. <laughs> is yeah. coming. Vera, have you seen or read that? Uh, no and no, Nathan, I have not. So I Whoa. will get on that. I will. Samesies. I'm a bit behind <laughs> on my homework. <laughs> so yeah, it was funny. I, I didn't know, Reed, that um, Martin Sheen is in it. I went yeah. as 
I've referenced this before, but like on iTunes, older films won't, and I suppose probably some new, newish ones too, but they won't always have like an actual trailer. It's just a scene. And mm-hmm. so I went to just go watch the, what I thought would be the trailer for no. the Barrymore edition. And it's just the right. scene of Martin Sheen talking to her and like, Oh, good old Jed Bartlett. He's probably yeah. a bad guy in this too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah I got, that was the vibe I got from, <laughs> yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. from, from the scene. Yeah. Weirdest. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to it, but weird, weirdest thing to me. And, and uh, such a conflict of emotions because of my rabid affection for George C. Scott. And I mean, it is rabid. I love George C. Scott. Um, in this, he plays an indigenous person. So I'm so torn about yeah, it because I love him, look. but it's not great. It has not aged it has well. a different time. Um, it, it was a different time. And despite the complete ickiness of that entire thing, he delivers a great performance in it. So there's that. Well, you but, know. <laughs> he's, he's we a pro. We talking about him 40 years later every way at him. <laughs> That's true. Uh, he's a pro. Go change gun. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, last bit of Foggy Biz. Join Patreon, listener. I'll do it. You know, it's it's time. A few of you have have recently. Thank you. That's awesome. Welcome so into much. the party. Welcome into the super secret club. Um, <laughs> you know, you get to vote on stuff. Our whole arc of this year, uh, minus things like B sides, quarterly kings, quarterly queens, etc., is going to be defined by patrons voting on the content. Um, it's what we did for Nick Cage. It's what we're doing for animated right now. Uh, Scare tunes. That is. Um, it's. It's going to be this year defined by patrons. Um, other things that patrons get the benefit of are things such as conversations about Castlevania <laughs> and Stump Read. Now, guys, about this movie. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Coraline. I love it. So, um, Vera. Yes. As our guest, um, you have the privilege of going first. We're going to start with a little bit of like, uh, what's your history? What's your affection? What's your overlay? What What is the relationship between you and the film Coraline? Or any of, you know, subsequent property connected? <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Again, so a peek behind the curtain again, you guys had asked me between two um, Leica properties, Leica, Leica, I'm yep. not sure how to pronounce it, um, Paranorman or Coraline, which one would I be most interested in? And behind another curtain, last year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so many curtains. <laughs> so many curtains. Just get out of the way. Um, it's curtains for you. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> um, last year for What Saves Me, Paranorman was one of my suggestions, um, but mm. I ended up going with Luca because I was like, Paranorman is horror, and we'll probably get to that eventually. Um, but you know, non-horror does not get covered on a horror podcast all that often, so I went with Luca instead. Yeah. So you guys offered me either um, Paranorman or Coraline, and I had like an existential crisis at <laughs> Easter because I was like, they are to me both perfect movies. They're both in my top 10 movies of all time. And wow. they, I think they occupy the same spot, like equally. <laughs> I love them They're both so much. Yeah. They are a tie. So I was 
at Easter with my family. And I was like, I need to poll everybody here because I can't make this decision. (laughs) So paint a picture for us. How many people are present in this scenario? I don't know. There's like 12 people or something like that. Rob wasn't there. He wasn't able to come. Um, I texted him and I was like, which one should I do? He was like, well, they'll both be great discussions. Paranorman, the themes are a little bit more clear, but Coraline, blah, blah. And I was like, unhelpful. Um, I asked my family. (laughs) (laughs) And I asked my family. My mom was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, A or B, what's your favorite letter? (laughs) I need a vote here. You were like, other mother. (laughs) Yeah. My my best friend, like, text thread. I was like, guys, I'm sending out a poll. I sent out a poll. Between everybody, it ended up being a tie. And I was of course like, it did. Yeah, yeah, of course it did. And so I was like, this is so unhelpful. I don't know what to do. So then I asked my kids because they've both, they've gone through periods where we watched Coraline nonstop and then Par- Paranorman nonstop. Um, and now mm. we're back on Coraline again. Um, but I asked my kids, which one do you think mommy likes best, Paranorman or Coraline? And my kids were like, Coraline. All of them said Coraline. And I was like, oh, why do you think Coraline? And they were like, mommy, because it's on your cup. And I was like, oh, okay, That's fair. Funny. So. Yeah, so here's my water that I drink out of all that's the time. Awesome. That's awesome. And I bought it specifically because the Starbucks siren has button eyes. Oh, that's awesome. And that was the reason. That's that. very cool. That's so cool. But then I also oh, like, I'm, I have the Coraline necklace. Oh, yes. My, <gasps> wow. Wow. And the sweater. My, I'm just sweater. now picking up on the sweater. Yeah, and the, my earrings are the cat. So like, Paranormal doesn't have town. a lot of merch that you can buy. <laughs> Coraline sure. Aesthetically, it's a, a much more popular movie. But anyway, I ended up going with Coraline because my kids... Um, it, it just, I can't argue with the logic that she's on my water. Sure. Yeah. Hey, that's, that is irrefutable <laughs> logic to be sure. I um, want to, I want to throw in here, uh, piggybacking on your story here, Vera and like an insanely well endowed old lady stop motion character <laughs> unzipping her person to reveal something within yeah. you revealed the curtain behind the curtain. I'm going to add another curtain to oh, those curtains, curtains oh which God. is to say so much drinks. I knew <laughs> I knew of <laughs> you know I knew of your paranormal affection and I knew because I knew it was in contention last year. So Reed and I are often just texting each other what about this and it's a series of of you know choices that need to be made and sometimes you want the path of least resistance. And so it was in his defense on your side here he was like, "Well, we should throw Paranorman and Coraline to Vera to see what she says." In the moment, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank here. It wasn't trying to be dismissive. It was actually trying to be uh, an executive of a company, a big brand like Fear of God, and just be like, you know what? I'm going to make a decision for us here. Let's just pick Coraline because, you know, I'm sorry. Let's pick Paranorman because I knew how much you had belabored it last year. And then I can't even exactly remember, Reed. Did we just decide, no, let's not do that? Or no. No, no what had happened. Okay, so this is this is actually kind of funny. I don't think Vera knows yeah. this story. So, um, so, uh, what was it? I think, I think it was Paranorman and Luca was the decision, right? And we, and last year, and, and we threw it out to you. At that point, I'm rapidly texting Nathan, be like, I love Luca, but I love Paranorman. I want to talk about Paranorman. Can we talk about Paranorman? Let's talk about Paranorman. And then he's like, Vera's an adult. Let her. make the decision as he's i like, countermand what i just said <laughs> yeah and he's and he's sitting he's like reed let vera decide and we'll follow with what she wants to do and i was like you're right you're right fine okay and we'll eventually get back to paranorman it's fine so then we literally <laughs> reversed roles this time around no it was funny because then we reversed roles and then when he says to me he's like no 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 just 
tell her we're doing Paranorman and, and we're inviting her. And I was like, Nathan, not a, not in an authoritative <laughs> way, just in a, right, no, no, just pulling yeah, from yeah, that yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just you know, she wanted to do Paranorman. Let's just you know, skip to the chase where she wants to do Paranorman. And I said back to him. Nathan, Vera's an adult. She can make a decision <laughs> for herself. <laughs> I was like, she can decide if she wants to do Paranorman. I cannot make a decision for myself. <laughs> I need my well, children to do it for me. Then you needed the, a mob. To the, added, the added wrinkle to the drapes here is, so I'm, you know, I'm in my car all the time. I, I get this question from Reed, Paranorman or Coraline. I'm like, let's just pick Coraline. And I'm getting slight pushback, which is totally fine because this is how we, how we make decisions. And uh, sure enough, uh, you you challenge that position, and so instead, because <laughs> I just know, I'm like, okay, I'm 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 trying to reduce friction, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so instead of Reed and I working it out, when you got the text, Vera, do you want Paranorman or Coraline? It was just because I was like, screw it, here, I'm just gonna text her real quick. So that that is what happened. How that question got prompted, <laughs> the context of it. So here we are, at Coraline. Um, that is very cool. That was fun. And I got to say, because it may be the last time it comes up in the conversation, I I love Paranorman. At some point in the life of the fear of God, I've we're only seen have it once. Episode. I got to get oh, back. Oh, my God. goodness. I, I watched I it every it. day yeah. for a year and a half. My, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. Not like it was my my kids just my kids are weird and they love uh, the kid horror stuff. <laughs> no, but. no. And I completely echo. I can't, so you, you referenced something very quickly. I'll call back to Vera. Like, I do think. Coraline is more aesthetically attractive. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot to Coraline that like, you know, maybe from a merchandise standpoint that you can be like, ooh, that is super cool. What merch? So, like, I what? Get what are you talking about? I don't know. What you're about. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. But in terms of just films and experiences watching them, I am right there with you, Coraline and Paranorman, like on the shelf next to each other, holding hands, walking through history. Like they are they are wonderful. Yeah wonderful creations and it is a, it is a tough choice like i i love both of those films so profoundly so just wanted to echo that sentiment like samesies love it so <laughs> sorry nathan i cut you off no, to say that but. you're good no i was just going to address your your general question if i may of, yeah, of overlay um Coraline fits a bit uh, um i'm speaking to uh its presence in my family's you know kind of our little culture uh, fits a little bit alongside nightmare before Christmas in so far as it's a movie that on its face, you'd think they'd be a little scared of, but like we watched it a ton when the bigger two were a bit younger. And so to the point, like I mentioned, it became kind of some, some shorthand in our kind of comings and goings. And, you know, I, I need to get back to paranorman at some point, clearly. Uh, but, but, reiterating what everybody said i do just love the aesthetic there were to the point that there was a particular halloween where i was encouraging it didn't end up happening encouraging one of the kids to go as Coraline because it would have been a relatively easy you know costuming mm. um but they but Leica has such wonderful well-designed of the higher end merchandise what i mean by that there's a really cool Coraline doll that i've seen here and there that i've pondered just kind of getting for the collection like a buttonized doll or i think I can't remember. It's been a minute. Mm. Um, I just know I've seen it a number of times. Um, I will be, I will say this and then we'll, we'll move on from it. I love the film Coraline and pretty much all that goes with it for me. Kubo might always carry the torch of cause, cause whereas Coraline speaks to my aesthetic and, 
vibes, Kubo speaks to my soul and so kind of ratchets it up. So, mm. you know, maybe in the future we'll do a Leica run and get back mm. to Paranorman and throw Kubo in the mix. Um, but nonetheless, nice. I love I love Coraline. If, uh, um, it is a I solid I know flick. that you guys don't, but if anyone out there has um, TikTok, you can follow Leica on TikTok. Did you just call us old? I, I, that's what I felt right there. It was like, <laughs> I know that the two of you don't. It, you, I mean, you elongated the <laughs> syllables to make sure we heard. You put I mean, a big pregnant more, pause there in the middle. She's like, not wrong. More than, <laughs> I don't actually know if you do or not, but mm. I'm assuming you don't because I share TikToks with you all the time and I don't that's think true. you're on TikTok. And I'm like, huh? What is this? I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I do not have the, the tick or the talk. Anyway, so, yes. Um, Leica is on tiktok and um they post some really really cool behind the scenes stuff on their oh, account awesome. so they are a good awesome. follow what, what was it um oh gosh what was the film was it paranorman or was it maybe box trolls or something there's a film where box trolls during the yeah yeah, yeah where during the credits they show the manipulations they show the, the people i can't at, remember what it is at the end of paranorman they have they show the building of like the a Norman piece, mm, like mm-hmm. so the the skeletal structure, and then like the pieces that go on the outside, and then he like gets yeah. up and walks away. It's really cool. Yeah, but I've watched it's all the special features for um for Paranorman and Coraline, um and like just the how many facial expressions the characters have, and like how it's often incredible. like per minute they have to like change them out to just get like. Mm-hmm. Just the small little bit of film. It's crazy. I love how I love stop motion because I yeah. think that I just find that they create better movies because everything is so intentional with them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and no, it absolutely does. And and what's fascinating about stop motion is there's a there's a component to it that isn't automatically sort of assessed. Yes, God bless traditional 2D animation. Brilliant, breathtaking stuff. Uh, the stuff that they can do with computer-generated stuff is brilliant and breathtaking. The component with stop motion that exists that even extends back, you know, you go all the way back to like Ray Harryhausen with like the stop motion stuff with big monster movies. That was the way they did it is that they would do stop motion uh, monsters with this against models. And it is that third dimension component. Mm-hmm. It's the element of the, like the tactile, you have to create it in the space as it is. That is not to diminish the artistry behind like actual drawings but you just have to conceptualize it different because it has a a different mass and it takes up different space Mm -hmm. and shadows are actually cast as opposed to imagined where the light will be and stuff like that and so it's just yeah it yeah i i I, i'm completely with you i love so so very much love the the richness of of it like like Coraline Mm -hmm. sweater so the 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 one that i'm wearing the star sweater they Mm -hmm. like is an actual knit sweater that they had to knit with like tiny like hair like knitting needles in order to create that tiny tiny knit pattern of sweater like yeah that's incredible well and and to that to that point i think what uh which isn't to suggest every bit of stop motion in history is fantastic and a masterwork (laughs) but it is such a painstaking process Mm -hmm. that you if you can apprehend it recognize this is a true labor of love Mm -hmm. like this is people don't do this because they just kind of want to be in the industry yeah this is artists yeah crafting Mm -hmm. art 
And I'll tell you Absolutely. what, Gumby, thank God for Gumby. <laughs> um, but uh, Vera, you referenced the TikTok. I don't know if this was on that uh, youthful platform. Um, but uh, a couple of years ago, when I was consuming all the Kubo stuff, there's this incredible time-lapse video of them crafting the skeleton in that film. Mm-hmm. It's like this, it's more than life-size. It's like this giant giant skeleton and just it's in this dark room because they're testing it with lighting and stuff and watching that thing come together and get uh, fabricated it's just incredible but yes to your yeah. point the textures it's and amazing. stuff i'll um i won't go to the mat on this but this this thought did strike me because next week we're discussing um the secret of nim uh <laughs> late 80s i believe or mid-80s? Uh, early 80s it's 82 early 80s okay uh yeah definitely early 80s um <laughs> So watching that and watching this in such close proximity almost kind of made me a bit more than I can ever remember being a slight naysayer to what's become CGI, right? It was like, Mm. dang, this stuff is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. Secret Mm -hmm. of Nim is just beautifully rendered in that traditional 2D. It is caring and careful in how Mm -hmm. it's presented this and others like it i mean however much i may say oh x of Leica's output is a little lesser or more than than y Leica kills it yeah they are incredible <laughs> at what they are doing yeah yeah um, absolutely admittedly i i have not watched the huge jack the, the the yeti one whatever that one's called i can't remember or or, or are you talking of the missing link Yes, yes, yes. Missing link. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my that one, that's my like a blind spot as well, which sadly I think that lost a lot of money. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think as an attested to like you and I didn't see it. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, they have another one. The pirates meet the scientists. Oh, it's based on like a book yeah. series, which I've read. Okay. Um, okay. And the movie was okay. It wasn't mm, a sure. super right. great adaptation, but um, yeah, I feel like this. I feel like they're they're signature run Coraline Paranorman box trolls with an asterisk and then Kubo and the two strings Mm -hmm. like that is top shelf incredible material now I will say of those four box trolls is like the the lowest of the four like um because I just don't respond as overwhelmingly affectionate to box trolls as I do to all three of those other films Mm -hmm. um but man they're just box trolls is fun yeah. But yeah it is fun yeah it's fun yeah. to watch um but it but it, it doesn't hit the same notes that the others do um so so, so speaking for myself i actually read neil gaiman's novella i was gonna ask uh, who's read the novella yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i did and i read it before it was a film uh because i've been a neil gaiman fan since and though i can't remember when this was uh since i realized the sandman was a thing in the world and read it and just became absolutely stunned by all of it, um, as I sometimes do when I discover a new artist who already has a, a, a an extensive catalog. I then just gobbled up everything. I was like, "Oh, Good Omens, Neverwhere, Stardust, Coraline," you know, like a little every, you know, just just sixteen oh two. I've read it, and okay. um, yeah, I understand. So yep, yeah. and so um, and so and and I still I still do. I love I love Neil Gaiman's work. I just I really I I also love him as a creative voice in the world. He's very generous 
about his creative process as well, which you can't say for all artists. And um, and I think he he's very forthcoming about like his general process and advice to writers and and is very engaging as such in, in that world. And so I really appreciate that about him. All that said, yeah, I, I love the Coraline novella. I mean, you can read it in... If, if you are the type of reader who likes to do these things, you can read it in a single sitting. It's only a couple of hours long read. Um, and then uh, the one major difference that I remember from it, though it has been some time since I've read it, is that the character of Wyborn, Wybie, is not in it. Like, he's not huh. present in the book at all. Yeah. Um, that's the major difference. There are a couple of other, like, sort of, you know, particulars differences. Like, I don't think... It, it, my memory of the book, I don't think she goes back and forth. I think she goes there. Yeah. And then she comes back to retrieve her parents. And I think that's all there. I don't think there's a there's a back and forth uh, thing that happens like there is in the film. That is correct. Um, but but yeah, uh, the oh cool cool <laughs> the 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 Wybie's absence from the novel was the biggest thing that I could remember about the novel because it it has been many many years since I read it. Yeah, I um, think that um, in terms of an adaptation. It makes sense because mm. the character of YB represents somebody for Coraline to talk to. Whereas mm, in a mm. novel or novella, like she has an internal voice and that makes sense right. in that context. Um, and, you know, it might make sense in like an anime where like that's very common for characters to use their internal voice externally. But yeah. in this type of media, it doesn't. So in order to give her somebody to talk to, mm. To make that a person, mm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, um, just real quick, we, we haven't invoked this segment in, in <laughs> some time, but uh, but uh, maybe we can go to a little bit of quibbles and bits, if you will, like little no quibbles, little, only bits. But, but, with, I'm but, but see, <laughs> chomp at them. Actually, in uh, in transparency, no, I have no quibbles. I just it's an excuse to to throw out some fun trivial bits. So, Nathan, you referenced, and I thought this, I thought you were about to say this. You referenced how this sits similarly to like the nightmare before christmas well you know it's the same director yeah okay I, I, you just didn't mention it so i didn't know if well, you knew that well, fact because i wasn't was a- referring to per se it's um it's voice i was mm, referring it. to it as a as a quote-unquote horror piece yeah. that kids surprising to me like if you'd asked me 10 years ago hey do you think you're children will like nightmare before christmas i would have been like oh, it's pretty grotesque in places and a little whatever <laughs> um similar similar statement with Coraline is on its face things i would think are pretty scary about it they didn't mind as much um mm, gotcha and, and yeah. so that's all that's all i was referencing so yeah i knew henry Selleck was yeah so henry Selleck directed this as well um the uh the other thing that I thought was cool, just because I like They Might Be Giants, is that when this was originally conceived as a musical, They Might Be Giants wrote like a whole slew of songs for it. Uh, they wrote like a dozen songs, I think, for it, that only two of which remain in the finished film. When mm-hmm. it when it was no longer going to be a musical, the ones that remain are the end credits song and then the song that the other father yeah, sings to her. I love that song. Uh, which very much feels so, like a They Might Be Giants song. That, that what's interesting, that sort of I, I did not know. So it was... It was conceived as musical. The film adaptation was originally going to be a musical. And then, yeah. And through the process, through the creative and development process determined, yeah, this, this, this is no longer going to be. And so they might be giants, you know, took their paycheck, went home, 
and then they even said to fans like we'll release we'll release the songs like we'll do, i mean they might be giant songs i think are on average like a minute and a half long each so they just populate 40 songs to an album that's just the kind of band that they are and um and so they you're like yeah we'll release the tunes to eventual albums whenever and i think they i think they did um but yeah it was originally going to be uh, a musical yeah because that piano number as catchy and fun as it is stands out it's like that, yeah oh okay like uh, what is this <laughs> yeah choice. exactly um uh the other the only other bit that i had that i thought was cool is that the the character's name which many other characters in the story reference as like oh you mean caroline no 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 Coraline. <laughs> you know um and it was actually the entire impetus for the story came from neil gaiman trying to type the name caroline and made a typographical error and then when he typed Coraline. He said it, it kind of stopped him, and he realized, like, ooh, this is somebody's name, and I want to meet her and find out more about her. So then That's that cool. birthed, and then he flavored in characters getting the name wrong as a kind of a, you know, wink back to that it's, initial it's mistake. It's funny you say that, because this is, you're just, you're rattling the old memory cages, Reed, and, uh, <laughs> you know, just, my old brain is recalling things. Um <laughs> This must have been for our third child, but also an indicator of what I meant by this kind of baked itself into our our home life in a in a at least semi significant way. So I'm relatively coy about my children's names because the internet and blah blah blah. So this is not naming them, but it's naming a way in which we named our kids. So something that we 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 were super nerdy and had this you know kind of. Uh, I don't do Excel spreadsheets, but effectively that's the type of <laughs> level of matrix that we subjected our children's names to. And uh, one of the rules, uh, well, two of them will reveal themselves here. One was a longer name um, that got shortened to an E ending hmm. effectively nickname. So for instance, my wife's name is Tracy. So uh, hmm. ends in an E sound. So you can sort of see a pattern here of a longer name that could be shortened to an E ending. And for our third child, the name Coraline was on the list with Corey. Mm. As Coraline its, was on our list too. Really? Really? As Aww. its kind of shortened version. So no, you just, you reminded me of that in describing the process of naming the show itself. So that's very cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, so that's all I had. If you want to, I don't, you know, where do we want to go? Do you want to go to that? Um, ain't right? Do you want to, I have a bit, yeah. a quibble. No, Ooh, no quibbles. please, something. No quibbles, <laughs> only bits <laughs> Only here. bits. Um, We're chomping at them. So the original story, um, the novella is set in England. And mm. um, the the movie is set in Oregon, United States, obviously. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of, not all, but a lot of adaptations from British media to um, U.S., don't go over so well. Mm. Um, right. There's obviously exceptions. Like I like both versions of the office. They're both good. Um, and I like both versions of Coraline. I think they're both good. They're different, but they're both good. Right. Um, but a nod to, um, the British part of it is the voice actresses for Spink and Forcible. Mm Um, mm. they are on a long running show, long running British show. It's kind of like a mad TV type format, um, oh. show where, yeah, they do skit comedy and it's actually really funny. So, um, oh. that's yeah. absolutely fabulous, right? Pardon? Isn't it called absolutely fabulous? Or something like is that, that the one? No, I think it's called yeah. French and 
I think it's their French last name. Yeah, yeah, French I think and there Saunders. Was, yeah, I think there were fabulous, multiple iterations like yeah, over time. Yeah, like yeah. It, it's been it, like yeah, the you're 80s right, it's long until, running. yeah, early 2000s. And then they wow. still do like yearly specials or something. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool and it, it's worth checking out. But I really like the, the sort of inclusion of that. Well, and well, uh, oh, mm-hmm. you go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, because if you're going to reference them, I wasn't, but something different. <laughs> but. Uh, just a, a branch off of that, Ian McShane, who voices Mr. Bobinski, is also uh, British. And, and I Bobinski, love... I thought he was Bobinski. Russian. Do you know why no, Bobinski is um, blue? No. Oh, tell me. I know this story. You tell it, Vera. Yeah. Um, because so he wears a medal um, on his chest um, that you can see throughout the movie, and it's given to um, it's a real. I mean, it's obviously not real in the movie, but it represents a real medal that real people got. Um, the people who cleaned up after the Chernobyl disaster got a yeah. special medal. Wow. So the bluish hue of his skin is supposed to be like radiation poisoning. Mm. <laughs> crazy. Not funny. All right. <laughs> no, it's crazy. Um, I, this, this is pure just speculation. It is interesting to me uh, that... Uh, y'all reference Wyborn not being in the source material because I, this is again, speculation, I think, and and this is laudable on Laika's part that it's there to diversify the cast a bit, you know, because his grandmother is African-American and it just stands out. So when you said, I had thought that before this conversation, why does this character uh, designed the way he is and just, huh, I wonder, but I, I, I just didn't have the time to go track down the source material. So the second you said he's a fabrication, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm right on that. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, uh, stands out and is of interest. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, let's do it. Let's go because it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's not color out of space, but there are a few things <laughs> in this that are not right. So uh, this is the part of the show where we discuss things that, um, aren't just wrong, but might be categorically described as that ain't right. Yeah, uh, Vera, what tops your list for things in this film that absolutely could be described as ain't right? Um, I'm going to go with when Coraline asks the other father where the other YB is. And he's kind of sitting <sighs> in front of the piano and he's not. Mm-hmm. It's just playing like a dun, dun sound. And he turns around and he says he pulled a long face and mother didn't like it. And then his face just like droops and melts a bit. And then the piano's hands come and like grab him and like mush and mold his face is pretty oh, yeah. ain't right. Oh, yeah. That whole because that's the first point in the film where things begin to really go dark yeah <laughs> like it's had a macabre sensibility from frame one but that's the first moment where it's like oh okay <laughs> like yeah this is a scary story yeah <laughs> like, definitely yeah it's very very much it really because that's remind me that's right after the introduction of the box of her buttons yeah right isn't that well, like yeah the box of her buttons she goes back upstairs tries to go to sleep wakes up and she's still in the other mm-hmm. house and then she comes downstairs and then that happens. 
Oh, man. Quick question for the two of you who each have read the source material. The movie seems to... <laughs> I just felt like uh, other Bobinski. The movie. He's called Bobo. Mr. Bobo in the book, by the way. <laughs> Oh, I didn't remember that. The other version or completely? No, the real, yeah, well, completely. He's not Bobinski. He's called Mr. Bobo. Bobo. Interesting. I like Hmm. Bobinski, the name Bobinski. Um, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like the movie flirts with whether this is an alternate physical space or if it's a dream space, right? Like it, am I, am I missing that? That like, it doesn't perfectly define it as is it a dream space is it an alternate dimension something like that like maybe i'm asking the question poorly but no does the the book explicitly does she go through the tunnel she is in this alternate space or is she dreaming and or both it's not a tunnel it's not like a a little door um Mm -hmm. it's a i think she opens like the the sitting room doors and then it's Mm -hmm. like a, a like a mirror world there if I remember, I, there's no, I think little yeah, door. that sounds yeah. right. No, that sounds right. But I think to your point, it's interesting that you asked that question. Cause I don't think it's addressed one way or another. So I, because of that, I presumed it was actual other physical space. I never presumed this was her stuck inside her own mind and being physically present, like in the real world, while this is happening in her mind, I always presumed this is, and, and an actual mirror dimension of sorts that yes, like, yeah. yeah that's, well, and, and you know, the, the question does admittedly fall apart a little bit once you uh, attach the physicality of other mother and, and ultimately her, her sort of trapping uh, or attempts to trap it. It's just the movie kind of volleys back and forth, oscillates back and forth between to your point just now, Vera, like she goes to sleep intentionally to try to will herself out. Like, so, so just the, yeah, yeah, she, it can be a yeah. Confusing. Um, like Reed mentioned earlier in the in the novella, she doesn't do that. Like, there's no going yeah. back to sleep and waking up again in the real world. Um, she she physically comes back, yeah, one time and then goes back one time. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it's an, a real That's space that the other mother has created. Yeah. Um. Thank you for that interlude, Reed. Do you want to throw a, a that ain't right? I'll go next. Yeah. Uh. So. <sighs> In my mind, I struggled with these being like the same scene. I'm going to compartmentalize a little bit. So I'm specifically talking, uh, what I wrote down is other mother's transformation. And, uh, I was, I was going back and forth between that and the, the whole introduction of the button scenes and everything like that. So I'm specifically talking about when Coraline goes back to her. I think it's following the father scene that you referenced, Vera. She goes back to her and confronts her about what's happening and 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 wants to go back and doesn't want to stay here. And then when mother, I'll other give mother, you to the count of three. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then she elongates. She begins to just. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's so unnerving. Just that whole that whole sequence, and as she progresses through the film, gets more and more animal like but but that specific first scene where she her body just begins to extend and stretch and it's just yeah Mm -hmm. heebie-jeebies very much heebie-jeebies well i'll i'll second that i'll I'll throw a literal in and then sort of pivot to something a little more overarching that is at least worth you know commentary um the the literal being just following your lead there read the ultimate sort of 
transformation of her into what she truly is. Um, that is one of the pieces of the puzzle that I'm like, man, if a kid's going to get freaked out, this is it. <laughs> like this, this yes. creature yes. and character design. But I love um, things like, I'm sure y'all have noticed this because you've watched it multiple times over now, the design of her dress at a certain point takes on the appearance of like a bug's carapace, right? Like the, the, the lower, the, the rear end of her dress yeah. has this, uh, feathered is the wrong word, but this tiered look to it that it definitively like yeah. resembles. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that, that's just so impressive. Um, this is a, that ain't right. My impulse was to go to a, a, a love, but we'll, I'll, I'll save that for, um, once we p- pivot out of this, but the, the more conceptual that ain't right, that I think is so powerful and, and almost is only, almost only works because of the stop motion of it, because of the tactile nature of it at all. And y'all referenced it twice already is the idea of buttons as eyes, mm-hmm. mm. like just ugh, the, the, <laughs> just, so I'm a big texture person. There are certain textures. I just, hate uh so like for instance one of those are oh yeah Vera, i don't want to see that um but Vera just held buttons up to her eyes um uh one of them my family knows this is styrofoam like at christmas when the when the like you can see my hands flexing yeah. on screen because of how much it makes my skin crawl when the christmas houses are coming out you know for like display at christmas oh. time but they're in the styrofoam i can't do it my, my kids know they're like Daddy, we got it. I'm like, thank you, because I'm not going to do it. They're just not going to come out. Uh, so things like that. Well, one of those, again, texture-wise, you you think of the idea of this. For a movie that is very mindful, it reminds me a little bit of how um, Spike Jones described his Where the Wild Things Are, that it wasn't a kid's movie. It was a movie about what it means to be a kid. Mm-hmm. And so this is a movie very much with childlike sensibilities on its mind, even if ultimately it might not actually literally be for children, though it is accessible in that regard. Well, one of those things is there's an air of body horror slash self mutilation baked into this concept and it is vile. And the minute, the minute other mother turns around, um, it's not, you see the buttons that isn't quite what's so disconcerting. It's the introduction of the concept that in order to come fully over, this is what's going to happen. It's not like you. when she presents it to her, it's the buttons, it's the spool of thread and it's yes. the needle in the box. Well, oh yes. God. And what I'm saying is when you yeah. first meet other mother and see your eyes, that's jarring yeah. and dissonant as a viewer, but that in and of itself isn't the horrifying part. It's that ultimately, yes, the presentation now, in order to join us, because you love everything that's happening here, this is what you have to do. That yeah. pushes you over into, mm, this is not right. When the um, oh. when the movie first came out, I saw it when it was in theaters um, with mm. my friend Teresa. Shout out Stavashushka. And uh, she, and it was in 3D. It was one of the first movies that was like, came out in a- th- I wondered that with the opening credits. Yeah. And yeah. so the o- opening credits where the needle goes through the doll yep. and it comes yep. like straight towards the screen. Yeah. That was in, like, I vividly remember that being in 3D and even the DVD, which we have, um, you can watch it in like just normal mm. view, which is how we normally watch it or in, in 2D or 3D with the- you know, the old school the glasses. glasses. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can, so you're wow. still able to watch it that way if you want to, but yeah, yeah. It's like it, it's exactly what you said. 
Like you get that, like, oh no, get that away from my eyes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, any other that ain't rights before we pivot out? Oh, um YB's yes. clothes as the flag. Do you know what I'm talking as about? So um it's it's Pre- when she's she's looking for the the ghost children's eyes. She's got mm-hmm. two of them mm-hmm. and she has to head up to Mr. Bobinski's flat. And mm. and Originally, I think there's like a, a Russian flag or something that's hanging there, but it's been replaced by the other YB's clothes, just his clothes, oh, as uh, like a taunt oh. from the other mother. Yeah, I did yeah. not, I did not remember that. Oh my god! <laughs> right, yeah. and then she she says like, "Oh YB," and then she screams, "You evil witch!" Yeah, just because. Oh my god! I mean, in not- general. Uh, uh, to put a label on her, other mother ain't right. I mean, just as a. As a concept and a character in both the essence of the character and the actualization of her in the the film itself, that is, that is a monster and it's impressive that how far they take that character. Um, On that note. That sure as hell ain't right. Thank you for your, that ain't right. I want to, I want to lead off just because I had the impulse to go there a minute ago. um, And this will be a good, uh, a volley for anything else y'all want to touch here. But in terms of something I just love, I love about the movie that the first time, uh, um, this is not a craft thing as much as it's a, uh, um, film sequence thing, if you will, that you don't totally pick up on the first time. If you're just don't know is that opening credit sequence when the spindly fingers are knitting or, or sewing, whatever, ultimately we want to describe that she's doing. That it's just telling you. It's telling you everything right there. Yep. And you just really have no idea if you have no idea. And I just love that about it. You would never inherently know once Coraline initially goes over and there's these alternate versions of her parents. Like, of course, it's off uh, unsettling and and not right as it ain't right as it were. But you still wouldn't know to connect it yeah. back to that opening scene. And that's that's yeah. a real masterful bit of storytelling there. What I um, uh-huh. I want to echo like yes and you with that because I think that multiple viewings like just because you look for different things the more times you see a thing, um, sure, you notice things like the other mother's nose is straight and Coraline's mom has a bit of a crooked nose, mm. Um, mm. and in the kitchen, um, Coraline is laying she's putting like packets of plants that she wants to put in the garden on the windowsill and when the other father shows her the garden, those are the plants that are in the garden. So just Mm. those little touches tell you how close the other mother was watching her. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. Because uh, like she doesn't explicitly say, I hate your crooked nose to her mom at at any point, but you know, I was a teenage girl once and you know, when you're mad at your parents, it's meant to be this fantasy realm. Exactly. Right. So she makes her, just that little bit more perfect. And she makes the garden wow. exactly how Coraline, like it is eerie when you think about it. <laughs> well, and to, to that point, I, I want to, to uh, put a button on uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, uh, my idea here. And, and which is kind of folding in um, uh, what you're describing there, Vera is I think about, and this is going to be unfair and I know it. And so I'm owning that right now. I've only seen uh, the last time I saw the movie lady in the water was like a decade ago when I was in the theater. I didn't like it then. I don't know that I would like it now, but the opening of it, a reason I didn't like it then 
is the opening of it literally tells you the movie you're about to watch. And to me, I was like, okay, I, I, come on. You've, you've just, yes, you've done a thing narratively that was unnecessary. And <laughs> again, I'm being unfair here reads as insecure. There's a giant difference mm -hmm. between that and this, yeah. which is conveying story, which is visually dynamic, but you don't, it, but in the moment you're like, oh, this is the opening credits and it's kind of interesting and cool and kooky and weird and creepy. And okay. You know, you, you are none the wiser if you aren't that, that they are transmitting information to you. Yeah. And that's just a really, <laughs> really cool thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Vera, as our guest and as uh, probably despite both Nathan and my uh, absolute affection for this film, uh, probably the resident among we three who is the most affectionate for it. I don't it, know why you'd um, say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what, you know, this the, uh, lacking a deft way to do this, what, do, what about this film resonates with you? You know, what would you extrapolate as theme? What would, you know, what really pings in your spirit about this? And why it resonates so much. Um, I asked my oldest daughter what she thought the message of Coraline was. Because I have my own mm. ideas and I, again, seen it a bajillion times. Um, so I think I've had time to refine it and really think about it. But I wanted to know from a children's perspective, considering that it, it's children's horror, um, yeah. what she took away from the movie. And she said, and a bluey reference is going to come in here, um, she said, uh, you don't, you shouldn't just try to get everything you want because then you'll end up like Mr. Monkey Jocks <laughs> is what she said. <laughs> All right. Mr. Yeah. Monkey Jocks is a spoiled <laughs> toy in Bluey. So, um, so I understand what she's, she means. And that's kind of where I land with it too, is that if something is too good to be true, uh, it, it probably is. <laughs> mm. And there, mm. if somebody is offering you the world, they, they're probably going to want something in return from you. Yeah. And yeah. heaven forbid that be your soul. <laughs> because mm. in this case, it actually is, right? And yeah. Coraline is offered, she's unhappy with her parents because they're not giving her the attention that she wants. She's unhappy because she had to move to this house away from her friends. She doesn't like YB. Um, she, she's just miserable. She's a little bit of a brat at the beginning of the movie. Um, sure. And then she's offered everything she wants. She's offered her perfect garden. She's offered a perfect mom, a dad who can play the piano, parents who will dote on her and play with her and garden with her and, and do give her mango milkshakes uh, a jumping mouse circus that does go oompa oompa um, <laughs> and a never ending show by the forcibles down the spink and forcible downstairs and when you get everything you want what's left what more can she get <laughs> right without there's nothing else to make her happy she's already getting all the things that she wants and she's there's nothing left for her to receive the other mother says, okay, now it's time to take your soul. And then she realizes, oh, hang on. I had it good. I had it good when I didn't have everything. I had it good when everything wasn't perfect. And that's when the other mother starts to become a literal predator. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
No, I, absolutely. I, um, man, my brain is going so many different places right <laughs> now. So, um, I thought about, and I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring the. I, I'm not asking this question of the pair of you, but I'm going to bring the question up because I thought about mm-hmm. it. And, and 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 so in the course of this conversation, if you know, if if you want to respond to it, feel the freedom to, but don't feel pressure to. I'm not asking this question, but I thought myself as I was watching this, what would an other deploy to me to attract me into it? What what is it right now that I would say like, oh, this is not where I want it to be. This is not what I want it to be. This is not what I imagined or not what I hoped for. And what would an other world uh, create for me to be the beacon that attracts me? And that will send you down some existential soul-searching rabbit holes, let me tell you, (laughs) about all the different ways in which, you know, um, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, you know, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Mm -hmm. Um, This is a very a bit on the nose extrapolation of that concept though I you know I I know this particular idea was not born of scripture but it 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 unpacks some of that another piece that it makes me think about that literally this is this is popping and crackling in my brain and in my spirit and when that happens I worry that it will be a malformed thought so I'm going to ask for both of your generosity and your graciousness as I begin I mean, I to I just sort of vomited extrapolate a bunch this. of words out you're good <laughs> that's okay <laughs> We'll have all the word salad. Um, so, but another moment that 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 is coming to me in this conversation is, and hear me out, the third, and in one gospel, second temptation that Satan gives to Jesus, and that's the kingdom of the world, the the kingdoms of the world. Like you can have all that you see will be yours. Like, all of it will will be yours. And he says, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. That's all you have to do. Now, what I have pondered many times is a question of, what if the temptation was not the element that you have to bow down and worship? What if the temptation was to own the kingdoms of the world? What if, regardless of the Oh yeah, you you know you have to just sew buttons on your eyes. What if that's not the problem? Let me let me bring it into Coraline language. But remember the temptation narrative that I'm talking about. What if the problem is not, but you have to sew buttons into your eyes? What if the problem is not the pain, the obvious thing that nobody wants to do? What if the problem is, kind of to your point, sometimes it's bad for us to get everything we want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's bad for us to get everything. What if that's the problem? We're not willing to wrestle with is that it's not the price of getting there. It is, there was a quote recently that I read as memes on the internet can sometimes be. I do not know that Jim Carrey said this, but it was attributed. (laughs) (laughs) It was attributed to Jim Carrey. I do not know that Jim Carrey said this. The point is the quote, because I did find it very arresting. The quote, it does sound like a Jim Carrey thing to say, but the quote was, I wish everybody on the planet could get rich and famous and have everything they dreamed of so they would learn that that is not the answer. And I I did pause to, to 
and maybe because Coraline was bouncing around in my head and because this subject and these themes. But that is what I, that is what this story, this overlay makes me think of is that we often will say, oh man, like getting everything you want sometimes comes with a heavy price, you know, and we say like, you know, forfeit your soul or sew buttons into your eyes or bow down and worship Satan in the biblical temptation narrative. But what if, for a moment, ponder, what if we were to bravely and honestly wrestle with the fact of maybe what I want, everything that I want could be bad for me to have everything that I want in my world? What if that was going to be detrimentally bad for me? And that's something that is sobering for me to remember because, and I know I'm just popcorning scripture left and right, but I have thought a lot recently and conversed a lot recently with my wife and with other friends um, about, I hear people say when something potentially good is on the horizon— a promising opportunity, a an exciting new venture, a, a, a potential blessing is on the horizon. And then that blessing we're wrestling with, you know, is this going to be a good thing for me? Is it going to be a good fit or not? And I have heard an alarming number of people uh, in my little nexus say, I don't know if God's just messing with me or, you know, I don't know what it is. And I have said with passion and fervor, I reject the notion that God is a prankster. I reject that notion. I do not believe God is a is a practical joker. I don't believe he delights in let me dangle a carrot in front of you that then I whoop <laughs> fooled you. I just don't that's not the God that I see displayed in the scriptures. It's not the God that I see displayed experientially in my own life um or that resonates in my spirit. So I just don't I reject the notion that God is a practical joker. But we so often I think, attribute blessings that have come into our lives that then turned sour as if that was somehow the fault of the prayers we asked or the fault of, of you know, like, oh, well, God gave me this and then it all turned bad, so I don't know what to make of any of that. And, I'm, and, and so that, what, that is what positions me in a place where I have to recognize, and this is the final scripture I'll say and then I'll shut up and invite <laughs> thoughts, is, is I've invoked to people that scripture where it says, where, where Jesus was talking, and he said, who, if your child asked for mm-hmm. a piece of bread, would give them a stone, you know, or would give them a snake in terms of a fish? And if you, as, he, as the scriptures terms it, being evil, but, you know, here, like, if you, being what you are, know enough to not do that, <laughs> if you know enough to not treat your loved, your beloved that way, why do you think, and how much more so, does God, is God not that? And I think so many times we get so caught up in the, I want what I want, and I want to have the kingdoms of the world and the perfect other mother and all of the mango milkshake. And I, I want all of that so much that we don't stop to consider that that is not going to be good for you. Or that what that you're being not, offered is a cheap imitation of the world mm, to satisfy yes. your own selfishness, right? Yes, Yes, absolutely. And I wrestle with that a lot. I'm, I'm sitting in the space with this film dancing around in my head, and that is that is my pondering. That is my consideration. Um, so I submit it to you for thoughts, reflections. You, you, there, <laughs> with the handsome beard. Mm, thank you. <laughs> uh, I just got it trimmed today. Um, <laughs> oh. It's funny, you, you inadvertently 
teed me up quite well there, Reed, because the uh, stone and snake paradigm is what has occupied my brain in thinking about this. Because I think there's a world where, um, you know, yes, there's a, a decent construction to be made that this has a lot to do with temptation and indulgence and um, quote unquote, getting what we want. Well, this has just kind of come to me um, uh, as we've been talking, as I've been listening to y'all fellow foggers, fellow thinkers, fellow parents process this film together. And what's funny is there's a whole other angle that's kind of ringing in my spirit, which Yes, uh, overindulgence, uh, unfettered succumbing to temptation. These are all bad things, and we should deter ourselves and our loved ones from that type of pursuit. However, never has this crossed my mind in engaging this film until this conversation, but I'm also approaching it as, uh, for the first time, I'm seeing it uh, not from the child POV that the film is really angled from, but from a parental point of view, and that is when have I accidentally, because I've let my own field of vision be clouded, given stones and Mm. given snakes to my children. I mean, because you're not wrong, Vera Coraline's a bit of a brat up front, but at the same time, I watch those scenes when she's petitioning those parents and it's painful. Because I know there are moments when I've done the exact same thing. And so there's almost this instructiveness to the whole piece. And this is the beauty of good art, which is to say there are different angles you can find uh, to chew on here. But what's instructing to me, instructive to me in assessing this is uh, I'm never going to be perfect as a parent. Mm -hmm. They're never going to be perfect as kids. But um, what are ways? Because because. Here's the thing. Here's what happens in Coraline. It's not her parents aren't paying attention to her. So she turns to drugs. Her parents aren't paying attention to her. So she turns to, um, you know, other untoward uh, self-destructive behaviors. Her parents aren't paying attention to her. So she fabricates. Mm, she envisions and is fed new parents. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, we can talk about pining for the unreal. Uh, and contentment. These are reasonable conversation points, but there's also part of me that's thinking at the same time, they can be better parents. And, 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 you know, you, you've, you've foisted, uh, uh, this kid into a new setting and you're actively ignoring her, her active needs. And so, you know, part of this is born from, so, uh, is why born, <laughs> uh, from <laughs> like my, my job, I, I work in sales and, and what that means in a very practical sense in my version of it is I don't have a set schedule and you're always thinking about it. And so what does that mean as a parent? It means, well, my schedule is not always set, which means it's real uh, all over the place. And that's the actual tactical work, uh, the, the literal work of trying to quote unquote do the sales. But then you're also always thinking about sales and your income and, and, you know, food on the table and blah, blah, blah. So what that can inadvertently create is complete cloud cover to people trying to get your attention. And that to me is just through this conversation, something scary that presents itself to me here, which is don't be so um, inattentive that they can. And again, you know, any analogy is going to fall apart. And I understand that they're not going to fabricate a new me out in the wild or in the brain space, but 
nonetheless, that they can pine for an alternate version who does shower them with more attention. And so that's really, I don't know, kind of instructive to me, kind of teaching me uh, as I conduct myself as a parent. So, yeah, that's my (laughs) Caroline (laughs) takeaway. I I definitely hear what you're saying, and I do feel that as well. Um, When I think about the other mother and like Coraline's parents don't, they're not intentionally trying to hurt her. Right. And in the same way that we don't intentionally try to hurt our kids when we ignore them for work or, mm-hmm. or we don't buy them the thing that they're asking for in the store. Um, we're not right. intentionally trying to hurt them when we do these things. Um, although they may come away from those situations hurt. Um, I think about the end near the end of the movie when the other mother has gone full spider and the house has crumbled into her, it literally into her web. It's turned into her web mm-hmm. and Coraline climbs up the web and she gets through the door and she's crawling away from the other mother. She slammed the door in her face and she goes to lock the door and the other mother is screaming at her. Um, don't leave me. Don't mm-hmm. leave me. I'll die. If you leave me here. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't think she means of like loneliness or heartbreak. I think she literally means I'm hungry, right? Like I will, I will, you're, you're not feeding me. You're not feeding my need. Um, Mm. and so her attention on Coraline is coming from a really self-centered place. And she, she, there's, she's a monster. Literally. She does. She can't love. Um, and and then I think about if Coraline had decided to stay like the other, like the ghost children and how, mm. how her parents may have felt the same things that the other mother shouted, but with, from a place of love and heartbreak, mm. actual heartbreak, yeah. not just the guise of it. And I think about um, Mrs. Lovat, YB's grandmother and how she lost her sister and how that's clearly affected her for her entire life. Um, to the point where she, you know, typically doesn't allow families with children to stay at the Pink Palace because obviously there's some suspicion there, right? She's right. locked that doll away for years because she has a suspicion of something. When you see the picture of her and her twin sister, she's like, her twin sister's like hugging the doll and YB's grandmother mm. as a little girl is like eyeing the doll suspiciously. Um, oh, I forgot that. And there in any cheap imitation that we are given though and that's why it falls apart because the feelings are inauthentic is i think what i'm trying to get at hmm. so, so something that um is is pinging up for me as as you both are talking Man, just so so many good nuggets that, that I feel like are just kind of revolving around all of this that are worth consideration. Like I feel like we, I I, I definitely resonate with what you both said talking about like the the moment when her mother, her real mother, makes the momentary deal with her. If you will leave, if I do this for you, you will leave me alone. Like uh, to right. unlock the door. Mm-hmm. Like if I did, and you talk about resonating like every day. <laughs> Every day of my life, there is some iteration of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. You of negotiate like, okay, with children. 
the negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, son, here's the deal. I am going to go and I am going to do the thing that you want. And then I get an hour. You will not, you will not come and breathe on me for an hour. <laughs> like that is like nothing uh, at, at all. And so I do, I do get really pent up sometimes when I'm like, Oh, you know, like I'm denying them this or I'm, you know, rejecting them that. And I do think there's a real tension right now where, uh, I, I feel so inadequate in, in expressing this thing. There is a very, very strange muddying of the waters when people talk about self care versus selfishness. Mm-hmm. And it is complicated in current culture to discuss the absolute vital necessity of things like self-care in contrast to unbridled selfishness and centering on self and revolving around self. Because one, I believe the the healthy self-care is vital to continued thriving and survival. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that's true, which sometimes does mean you consider your own needs above the needs of others, which if you do that pervasively, you're going to be dreadfully selfish, <laughs> and then it's going to be vacuous what you are left with at the end of that. Then you are really only left with yourself because that's the only thing that you've cared for and tended to if that is left unbridled. And what I'm thinking about in the moment, I'm not intentionally trying to just bring up all these different scriptures, but I think this subject just sort of invokes that, is I'm thinking of the Beatitudes. And when he said like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when, and he he's talking about blessing the present condition, which is a condition that contrasts to what we believe would be blessed. We don't believe meek people are blessed people. We don't believe mourning people are blessed people. Mm-hmm. We feel sympathy for them. We want them to end their meekness or their mourning or their hunger and their thirst or their poorness. We want them to end that. And so in this conversation, again, I'm trying and perhaps failing to truly grapple with and stare in the face of my own times where I've kicked, screamed, internally longed, and I have devalued the power of longing and devalued the power of beneficial lack in my life. Like, the times when I have been denied the thing I would have wanted for myself. And then when I look back over time or when I just become different the next morning, realize like, oh, thank God I did not get that. You know, it's like I constantly am telling my son, he's a snack vacuum. He will, (laughs) he will, I mean, he will consume every snack in the house. You set, you know, grilled vegetables in front of him, and suddenly he's I'm full. Like what? No, but you know, like the Liar. moment you say, okay, well then you can. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. But the moment you say you can be done, can I have three ice cream sandwiches? Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, you know, like. But what we have often like displayed to him, as I'm sure many parents have, is like, hey, the reason we don't want you to have ice cream sandwiches is because we're like ice cream sandwich, you know, pirates or whatever. It's because you will have an an absolutely terrible tummy ache if you just have all of the things that you want to eat. If you consume all of that, you're going to... There was one time... You have to put limits on good things. Yeah. Right. Yes, that's the point I'm going to, is that you have to put limits on good things. 
There was a moment that my wife and I were in the other room, and my son is able to get his own things. We have rules around the house about what he can and can't have, and he, for the most part, abides by those rules. We had not established for him how much peanut butter he could have. And so, <laughs> and, right. Either. And so, we are in the, the room enjoying, we are in the other room enjoying a television show. And then our son has helped himself to half a jar of peanut butter. And he's <laughs> he is so little. That a boy. And and he, you know, the peanut butter did not stay with him. I will just leave it at that. <laughs> wow. And 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 so it was a moment where we'll go back and reference it, not as a hurtful, hateful, vengeful thing, but just be like, this is what happens when you don't put limits on good things. And that is something that is sobering to me, and I will even dare say helpful and healthy for me to remember, is that sometimes there has to be a limit on good things, mm -hmm. even just for the moment, because if you engorge them, then it will waste them. They will, do, they will provide no value to your spirit. They will no longer be good things, and that is something that is sobering for me to remember amidst all of these conversations around temptations and desires and pursuits and you know the idea of god as a prankster or a trickster because sometimes things are withheld or sometimes sometimes things don't play out the way we expect them to and it's like yeah sometimes there is for the sake of goodness there is a limit on good things and uh, and that's just valuable yeah, valuable I mean, for me to remember i empathize i tell tell you boy i'm a snack vacuum <laughs> uh, and there's a reason we don't purchase a bunch of stuff that I would really like to eat mm. is because mm -hmm. I shouldn't eat it. Yeah. And lately, when grandma is stocking a bunch of little Debbies, I'm like, no, I can't <laughs> have this in my house. You need to get it out. Be gone, Satan. Because the yeah. then I'm just going to eat it. Like, oh, no. there's an. There's another giant oatmeal cream pie here. I'll, I'll, I'll take two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love uh, the giant oatmeal cream pies, man. Yeah. That's my breakfast. Nutty buddy? Come on, man. Oh, I don't know what you're saying. I yeah. destroy those. <laughs> oh. She's like, you're using American words. Yeah, I don't I understand don't this. Do you not have Little Debbie up there? <laughs> I don't think the, so. The, the, the brand? It's a brand. Oh, it's just a brand it's of a, snack yeah, cakes. It's a, but, oh, man, it is. It, I thought I loved Canada. Um, yeah. Sorry. We do have different <laughs> snacks. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. There's a... There is a, sorry, 30 seconds. There is a Simpsons episode where Homer is jumping through multiple realities. He's so jumping through different dimensions. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then, no, and then, and then sure enough, when uh, he lands on a dimension and it's like his in law sisters are non existent. Mm -hmm. Like oh, they are in this luxurious, <laughs> yeah, they're in this luxurious house. Like everything is perfect. And he's like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Like it's so fantastic. And then he's like, Honey, you know what I want? I want a donut. She said, "What's a donut?" <laughs> <laughs> and he goes running from the from the world. And then the even funnier part is that when he goes running out of it and leaps to another dimension, she looks outside as donuts fall from the sky, and she said, "Oh, it's raining again." <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, anyway, sorry. It's good. On that note, um, <laughs> yeah, I also I I said that Coraline is a, is a bit of a brat in the beginning of the movie, um, and that a lot of the what the other mother tries to tempt her and offer her with are her selfish desires. I want to um, make it clear that she doesn't end up being selfish. I mean, she's a kid. Kids are self inherently sure. selfish, but, but she does ultimately end up doing the right thing. And she also mm -hmm. 
puts herself at risk to not only save the ghost children, but her own parents. Because she realized, you know, what do you, when you're a kid and you're left by yourself for a little while, it's like the best feeling, right? You eat all the snacks. Mm -hmm. You do all, you watch all the things you want to watch. You get to do all the things that you want to do. Nobody's there telling you what to do. Nobody's bossing you around like you're king or queen of the castle. To a point. And then you get lonely. And then you start to miss the people Mm -hmm. that you love. And then you want them to come back. I feel that way about my kids all the time. When they're constantly mom, 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 all at the same time, I'm like, I would like some peace and quiet. And then they go Preach. to bed, and I'm, I, <laughs> Come here. I miss them. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, God, it's so true. And there's a, a part in the novella that was left out of the movie, and I don't think it takes anything away from the movie, because I think the movie ends up in the same place without this piece. But I think it's a really great illustration of her growth as a character. Um, the, th- her real father in the book tells her a story about how they went to, a, um, or no, they go to a river or something in the forest, like near the new house. They go for a walk and they're mm-hmm. by a creek and her father picks her up, um, because there's a bunch of bees or wasps or something. And he picks her up and he runs, he tells her to run up the hill. He goes, run. Um, and the reason he does that is so that, he can attract the attention of the wasps and Mm. she can get away and he'll get the stings and she doesn't get the stings. And he gets to her and he's dropped his glasses and he has to go back and get his glasses. And then he comes back to Coraline and she asks him why, like that was really brave what you did to let me get away. And he said, no, like what I did in the moment, I didn't even think about. Like, I was just Mm. trying to protect Mm. you and help you. But when I went back to get my glasses, that's when I had to be brave. Wow. And I think that's what Coraline does, is that she she experiences all of her heart's desires. She gets back to the real world, and her parents aren't there, and she's free. She doesn't have to, to, you know, have them ignore her. She can do what she wants. She can eat what she wants if she had food, but they don't have food, mustard, sandwiches, or whatever her mother offered her. (laughs) Yeah, mustard, ketchup, and salsa wrap. (laughs) And she decides to go back and rescue them. And that's when she decides to be brave, when she decides to face the other mother so that she can have the things back that weren't perfect, but they were real. Mm. 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 There it is. That's beautiful it's beautiful i i mean sincerely i know we're i know we're at time that i can think of few more powerful and affecting statements to end on than that i think that was really really wonderful um man i love this film i i i might queue up some of my favorite scenes after this is all done (laughs) this is this is really really cool so um uh, is everybody good if we go to the ye old fog meter and uh and and put caroline in the books okay so the fog meter Coraline. yes um our very specific metric of fear and god uh where we measure a thing's scares and its substance so Coraline, directed by henry selick uh adapted from the neil gaiman novella of the same name vera 
what would you give Coraline for fear? So I don't think there's like traditionally really, really scary things, but I think that there is enough there that aesthetically makes it very eerie and iconic, like the button eyes. Um, so I'm <laughs> going to give it, I'm going to give it an eight. Eight. Awesome. Uh, for myself, I'm going to land for many of the same reasons right there with you on an eight. It is <laughs> so unsettling, so unnerving. Um, although accessible, it's it's got some genuinely freaky concepts and visual imagery. So I'm right there with you with an eight. What say you, Mr. Rouse? Hmm. Y'all surprised me with your eights there. Um, <laughs> making me think here. So when I was re-listening to Coraline today, um, I did have the active thought. I was like, this, it's palatable for not adults, but this is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, far more so than even say something like Spirited Away, which is more fantasy adventure with, you know, some thrilling aspect to it. But Similar themes though, eh? Sure. Surprisingly. Eh? Um, yes, absolutely. And, and so eight feels a bit overstrong from me, but I think seven, just tempering that a tiny bit, I will join you there at a seven, if only because of the, the thematic nature, as well as that iconic imagery as referenced with the buttons that sort of makes your skin crawl kind of <laughs> energy to it. Yeah. So seven. What would you give it for the God meter? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to play it a little safe here. I think I'm going to go with a seven. I think there's not nothing there whatsoever. There's, there's some, some good stuff there and you don't, um, you don't adapt Neil Gaiman and not have richness to pull from. Um, yeah, I won't over, over talk it. A seven is what I'm going to go. Okay. All right. Uh, for myself, I, I actually do find this concept uh to to be very rich in in substance and theme and considerations and as probably evidenced by my inability to land a single bumper sticker on all of the myriad of places it sent my imagination um i'm actually giving this a nine i feel i feel very responsive to to what this film has in its thematic uh intentions what say you vera yeah i think that there are, like you said, so there is so much to mine from it, but it's harder to articulate than, yeah. say, like Paranorman, where I think the themes are laid out a little bit more clearly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're definitely there. And because of the source material, I think that it's very intentional. And so I'm right there with you with the nine. All right. I hear that. That means that we give Coraline a very solid 8 out of 10 on the fog meter. That's a solid showing for this film. I think well-deserved. Well-deserved. So, uh, Vera, I'll end with you. I'll start with myself. Um, I highly recommend Coraline. I think it's a wonderful film that veritably everybody should see, even if you're kind of averse to horror films. I think it's accessible to that regard. Nathan, would you agree? Would you Uh, recommend Coraline? Absolutely. And I also think it's just eminently rewatchable. It's just easy to very much easy to watch. Yep. Yep. And Vera, would you recommend I mean, it? 
<laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> no, don't, 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 no, on second thought. <laughs> there has to be a limit to good things. So, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, the limit does not exist. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No quibbles. Um, well, uh, that has been a, a really, really rich conversation uh, for my tastes on Coraline. Uh, Vera, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for selecting this film, for bringing your rich knowledge and thoughts uh, of it to us. Uh, Nathan, as always, thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Um, So next week, we are going to be going, we're continuing with hashtag scare tunes. We're going to be going back to the early 80s for this, um, for a conversation about a Don Bluth film, actually his first feature film. We are going to be going to The Secret of Nim. So, patrons, acquaint yourself with episodes one and two of season two of Netflix's Castlevania. And for everybody, revisit The Secret of Nim, and we will see you next week. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you again, Vera. Thank you, Nathan. And thank you, listeners. We'll see you next week. Das Vidania. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>